All right, welcome to episode number 55 of the Bearded Marketers Podcast, the only internet marketing podcast that matters. I'm Rob. And I'm Corey. Catch new episodes every Monday at thebeardedmarketers.com slash podcast. Of course, you can also catch them on iTunes. We bring you the issues, the latest trends, news, latest happenings in the internet marketing world every week. We bring it to you free. No sales pitches, no sponsors, no nothing. That's really actually why we started this, because we were tired of listening to those. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we actually know what we're talking about, too. Unlike a lot of the other people running podcasts and blogs and whatever, Mm -hmm. whatever it is. All right, so let's get right down right down into it. What are you drinking tonight? Tonight, to get I want to do, do spice things up a bit. So I went with a margarita, which is actually Ooh. what you are drinking too, because I made your drink. So you're also wearing I owe a, you everything. You're also wearing a sombrero at this point right now. So yes. this episode should be very full of character. I feel like summer's upon us now. I mean, it's it's been in the Unfortunately, upper it's 70s, getting into 80s, 80s solidly for a while now, so it feels amazing. I'm Sorry excited. for those people in the North or Europe that listen. <laughs> All right, hit us with the topics. For tonight, we're going to be talking about actually a user-submitted question. Yes, on Nathan Face- Revis mentioned his name. Shout out to Nathan. We're going to be talking about Facebook organic reach, things to be aware of with changes to the Facebook algorithm when you're posting things. Our favorite part of the show, because it's our favorite search engine, infamous Google Corner. Moving right along to e-commerce no-nos. That's right, no-nos. Do not do these. We'll cover those. Lastly, how do we get better email deliverability? How do we get those marketing messages in that inbox? Let people give us Mm. their money, their information. How do we do that? So kicking things off, Nathan was oh so gracious to ask us a question I think he was talking about struggling with understanding what have been the changes in Facebook on how posts get disseminated. How do I get more eyes on that? It feel like when I post things now, we get less reach. What is all that all about? That's what it's all about, really. Facebook Ta-da! has been... <laughs> and that's the end. Next topic. <laughs> Facebook has essentially been changing their algorithm over time. Over the last few months specifically, reducing the reach of posts organically. So what the, what does that mean? So let's throw some numbers at this. So in the past, this is actually pulled from a Ogilvy study on some social networking accounts that they run. Back in October of 2013, which is when they started this, an organic post to people who liked you would reach about 12% organically, right? So you're not paying for any of that reach or anything like that. It would right. reach about 12% of people. That has been on a steady decline a month later, 11.5%, and then a steep decline in December and even more in January. And now here we are in February. We're not actually here in February. We're in April. <laughs> but in February, we're at 6 point something percent. Wow. So it's been cut in half over mm-hmm. roughly a few months here. And that's across all pages. Obviously, if you have a page that has a ton of likes, half a million, a million or something like that, your reach is much less. But the general decline in the percentage of your reach has trended in the same direction. So what does this mean for people who rely on Facebook traffic? I don't know why you would, but... Well, I mean, there's some people out there, you know, it depends on your demographic. I don't think any of our stuff really heavily relies on traffic from Facebook. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there are obviously people out there who rely on that traffic. And now with these changes, you basically have to, and a lot of people are, are, this is their thought process is Facebook is doing this because they want people to pay money to get reach for their posts. They've been really pushing heavily on their promote this post and get increased reach for all of your posts. Basically, that's what people are thinking. They're putting their conspiracy hats on, kind of like what a lot of people did with some of the Google changes made a few years ago with AdWords. 
I think, though, it's the other way. What happens a lot with people on Facebook is they like way too many things. Mm -hmm. And they can potentially get inundated with crap in their feeds and walls or whatever the hell they're called now on Facebook. (laughs) So what Facebook has to do is do a better job of filtering out a lot of that crap. To provide you relevant content that you actually care about. Right. So something you post on your promotional Facebook account is not going to show up on everybody's feed. It can't. It doesn't make sense because if every company's page did that, then everyone's wall would be full of crap. Facebook obviously has some sort of algorithm that determines, okay, number one, has these people interacted with posts from this person before? Okay, then maybe that increases the chance that shows on their wall. This specific post for other people, has there been interaction so far, comments and likes and whatever the hell they're called on Facebook, has there been those across the percentage of people who have already seen it? So now we increase the likelihood that it'll show for other people. There's a lot of factors that go into that. But still, all those things considered, it has still been in a downward trend over the last few months. So what are the implications? I don't know. Now you got to pay. You got to pay to play, mm-hmm. which is ultimately what it's amounted or to. Or get for... smarter about your social strategy. So it's not just about how many things that we can puke up on our page, but now right. we have to actually think about what campaigns we're going to launch. How do we actually get people talking and commenting and interacting with it? Because like you said... Part of that algorithm is talking about how much we actually interact with these brands, how much we care about it, how much velocity is part of the social post. Are people commenting Mm -hmm. and is this actually worthwhile to people? So there might be a higher likelihood that we're going to show it to people. Well, so here's here's something that I mean, again, this I'm going to compare this to Google, not AdWords this time. I'm going to compare this to natural search with Google. So for a long time, people didn't consider bad links pointing to your website to be a negative SEO thing, right? It, it's come out recently that that is something, right? So something that's out of your control, someone could buy a bunch of bad links for your website, mm-hmm. could negatively affect your rankings inside Google. Similar thing now that we're sort of learning here with Facebook, right, is that if you have a bunch of junk likes on your page, thousands potentially, maybe you purchase some of those fake ones from some service, now your engagement percentage on posts that you post will be very low. So your actual posts will show up for fewer real people mm-hmm. now because you purchased a bunch of junk ones or because someone who's You've not you, your, your competitor, your competitor, you know, mm-hmm. purchased a bunch of junk ones for you. Yeah, your ratios of engagement are extraordinarily low for everyone else in your area or in your sort of niche or whatever it is that you're doing. So now you you get even less reach. So it's a similar sort of thing there where you have to sort of watch out about how you get likes, especially don't go out paying for those fake junk ones. Be careful what kind of promotions you run. Getting a bunch of junk likes, I mean, this is actually touching on, you know, what you're going to talk about in email later on here. Getting a bunch of junk people to like and follow you on Facebook doesn't mean anything. It could actually hurt you right. and result in less engagement from people who you do want to be interacting with you on Facebook. Right. Make sure you're taking a better holistic approach to your Facebook, especially now that they are caring about where they're serving these stories, things like that. Like you mentioned, it's kind of the maturing of the channel. Yeah. This is the logical next steps. They lag behind in some of the hard lessons that searches had to learn. So now some of these lessons and things that we've had to take into account now on search are now becoming applicable on social. So I think that pushes us as marketers to also mature our strategies. And it's not necessarily the wild west like it was where we could just pay some Indian firm to go ahead and auto gen, you know, a thousand or 10,000 likes. We have to be smarter about that. So Nathan, thanks for the topic. Hopefully it's been a good eye opener. A lot of people aren't necessarily really paying attention to that. But Facebook is maturing in some areas and you're going to have to change up your strategies. So make sure that you're doing that.
Moving right along, we've already talked about them a little bit, but Google, whew, it's another week, another round of changes, of course. So a couple ones that we've noted this week that are worth mentioning over the last couple weeks. Number one, Google Analytics Universal has officially come out of beta. Gia, Gia. <laughs> which has been a great product. We've been part of some of the beta testing of that. There's a lot of new features with this new tracker library with Google Analytics, a lot of the customer ID information, cross-device tracking. I cannot wait to get my hands on some of that data. There's a ton of great features out there. It is their attempt to make sense of this multi-device world now, and how do we bring that data together to understand who are really the true people looking at our sites? But what does that mean coming out of beta? It means that all the features that you've been used to, demographic information, retargeting, content experiments, which we're a big fan of here, are all now available through Google Analytics. So there's not any features that are missing that you might have been holding out on moving that migration. So now's the time to kind of play around with that. One note, you can actually run multiple instances of Google Analytics on a site. So if you want to run the new universal library with your old setup, you can do that and make sure that everything's kosher, set up your goals, set up your filters, everything like that. But you can now do that. Take a look. It's important. It's a great new product with a lot of features that many people should take advantage of. Moving right along, if you use AdWords PPC and you use call extensions directly in your PPC ads, Google has now rolled out the ability to make conversions based on time duration. So beforehand, Google could track when people called the numbers in your ads on your PPC ads. What they've rolled out now is the ability to get a little bit more granular there. So now in AdWords, you have the ability to say, only show conversions when people call me for longer than X amount of seconds. So for example, let's say I only want to register a conversion when someone calls me from an ad that is longer than two minutes. Anything less than that, I don't care about because it was probably a junk call anyway. Again, kind of maturing that product. So we have actually already started trying this and it does work with third-party call tracking providers. So if you use products like CallRail or many of the other dynamic call tracking services, AdWords conversion tracking does still work with those as well. So even if you use a separate product, AdWords will still integrate fine with that and we've tested it and it hasn't ran with any issues. Moving right along, interesting note, this is actually related to Bing, but I thought it was worth mentioning here. So we've talked about recently that Google has been rolling out some slight changes to their results page. It's actually been reported in the wild that Bing is... <laughs> Bing is basically making their site look like Google. <laughs> yes, yes. So we'll tweet out actually a link because it's pretty comical, but many of the changes that Google has recently rolled out, Bing has incorporated in a new design that's been spotted testing, except it's worse. But they are taking some design cues from the more recent Google rollout on their results page. Lastly, and this is very interesting and, and does have some serious implications, particularly in e-commerce, but multiple people have spotted where Google has tested bringing images into organic listings. So there are numerous screenshots out there where Google is actually not only indexing product pages and serving those into organic results, but it is pulling the product image from those pages and serving it up into the results page. Mm -hmm. Now, this is not a paid listing at all. This is right. organic results. 
Now, an important thing to note there is this is more reason why you as marketers or as someone that owns development need to make sure that you stay on top of best coding practices because how Google is going to pull that information is following their webmaster tools guidelines. So making sure that your code is up to date, you're using the appropriate schema data and markup is paramount to make sure that you can take advantage of this if they decide to roll it out. But again, this is just more evidence that as marketers, unfortunately, part of our job now is also to stay on top of development and making sure that our IT people, or if you're a person of many talents and you handle that as well, that you stay up with the best practices. So as Google rolls out these new features, you're not left out in the dark and your competitors are able to take advantage of it. Because I will say we do work in the e-commerce field quite a bit. PLAs are super strong if you can execute well. So moving these product images into organic listings is going to make a huge difference if you can take advantage of that. So read up on it. We'll tweet out a link. Yeah, the schema things, keeping up to date on what the hell I'm supposed to be doing Full-time across job. 10 major platforms. You know, maybe this is something we need to cover in a future podcast, but maybe it's beyond that. Maybe we need to put a, some sort of guide on the website because I feel like, um, you know, you got to pay attention to Facebook does it differently than Twitter does and Google does it differently than everybody else does. And if it's you have just, video it's, on the page, it's different. Yeah. Do I have video? Do I have pictures? Do I have an author? Do I have a product now? I mean, there's so many things to try to keep track of. It's always changing. So someone needs to come up with a guide out there. That's a, we'll take 10% of the, any revenue you make from that <laughs> because this pet. is patent pending on that idea. But yeah, we need to do something about that anyway. So that's, so that's going to be feature. our Google corner. Again, we'll tweet out a link to those articles to check out. Some really interesting stuff coming out of there, including Bing copying Google. Who would have thought it? So moving right along, e-commerce no-nos. Professor Rob, help us avoid these major faux pas in the e-commerce space. So what are some things that we shouldn't be doing if we already are? So this is a list from uh, Baymard Institute. They have some pretty cool stuff on their website, Baymard.com. This is an article, I think it was titled something like Five E-Commerce Images to Avoid. Okay. I don't really see how that sort of sticks with some of the ideas or topics they come up with. But I did want to cover a couple of the things, which actually I think maybe even go beyond just e-commerce sites, just in general, mm-hmm. web annoyances. You know what I like to do every mm-hmm. every few episodes. Red talk about things. corner. Yeah, exactly. That annoy me. Um, one of them being, which I know annoys you. Deep breaths. It's modal windows on entry. Why do you do this? Why right. do you so do this? To actually gather some of this information, they did some usability studies where they actually had people use websites and, and got feedback from them. They had a few choice quotes that I wanted to bring to the show. One being, and this is a direct quote from someone who used uh, an entry modal type window thing. I don't know what that was and I don't care. I just want my, and this is X product, whatever it is. A subject said, after closing the survey, dialogue the very instant it appeared. So that was one of the quotes. I think that so those are some strong words from a user sure. who saw one of those things. The other one is, I normally click X on these without really reading them, a subject explained as she closed the newsletter dialogue. I think both of those point to, that's exactly my behavior on websites oh, when I see those entry modals, is I don't even care what the hell they say. I'm out of there. And you know what's interesting to me, and this is something I know you've mentioned before, is that it's so shocking to me that people often show these entry modals before I've ever, ever been to your website. I have no cookies from your website. I've never seen anything from you. Boom, sign up for my newsletter. I don't even know who you are. 
to take a step back, you're absolutely right. And a lot of times when I run across these, just for my own amusement, I typically will open up that same site in an incognito window to mm -hmm. see if there's any sort of logic built into making sure that they're only popping this to like return visitors. I would say 80% of the time, no. It's just a straight newsletter grab of trying to get people's attention and email addresses. And I think how these tests typically work is they're structured in a way where it's like, did we get more email signups? Great, we did. Test is a winner. But they don't really look at the full picture. So I've done a lot of tests around modal boxes. And every time that we run them, there is a measurable cost of losing people. Mm -hmm. So on average, on most sites that we run these, it's about 7 to 10% of increase in bounce, much like to the frustration you talked about with these people's comments. When I arrive onto a site and I'm immediately greeted with a pop-up modal box, especially ones that are asking for email signups when I've just now arrived to you, you might be actually getting in the way. And I think that's actually one of the quotes was, your email capture is in the way of me getting my cough syrup, which is why I'm actually at this site. That's the feelings of a lot of people is, you know, we pop these messages to ask for information of people and we haven't built any trust with them. I've just arrived here. I'm trying to get my bearings on the site and you're already interrupting my flow and asking me for information before I've even got yeah. my bearings where I'm at, mm -hmm. let alone wanting to give you any personal information like an email address. So when you think about these campaigns, make sure that you're looking at the full picture. What is the long-term impacts of potentially pissing people off? Is there any measurable bounce impacts? Is there any order impacts? But also just general thoughts about your site, but any negative feelings that might be left in the user's mind using your site. Have you really interrupted their flow from the beginning? And is that going to have large impacts later down the funnel? And that segues into the next one. You like how we did that? Yeah, exactly. That was so smooth. Uh, we did not set that up ahead of time. That segues into the next one, which is basically the use of ads. This especially applies to e-commerce sites, but the usage of ads on home pages, which I know is another thing that you've tested a lot. I mean, oh, you yeah. test a lot in e-commerce and how that affects users' gut reaction to a website or how that affects users' understanding of what kind of products you offer or the selection of things. So a couple of the examples they give are, for example, if you run a large ad on your homepage that only shows hats or something like that, maybe you have a hat sale going on, but you actually sell a lot of other things, but you only show hats on the homepage. I mean, a user's gut reaction could be, oh, this is a hat store. What the hell is this? I was looking for something else mm -hmm. and back out of there. So that's an example of something to be aware of when you're testing large banner ads. I mean, that might be a legitimate thing. You may be having a hat sale and that's fine, but you have to be careful about how you convey that information in a, I'm going to take up the entire homepage type sale type thing. Another one, and this is similar to what you were saying about the gut reaction of, I just have a negative feeling about this site, um, is just how you design the ads in general. So what Baymerd is sort of implying here is that people have a negative reaction to ads in general, whether they're internal or external or not. You know, it could just be that people don't like the idea of being sold to, or it could just be years of using the internet and knowing that ads tend to kind of be full of it or whatever, or trying to avoid ads in general. The perception if of you're, low quality or non-relevant. Right. If your homepage just looks like it's full of ads, even if they're ads for, you know, your own products, there's just a negative connotation associated with that feeling a homepage that looks like that. 
So that's just another thing to keep in mind if you're going to run ads on your e-commerce homepage. I think Baymer does have some good points in there, particularly around how you stylize, even when it's not necessarily an external ad, Mm -hmm. but the perception that that raises in people's mind on how you maybe need to design your creatives internally. And even though you might be offering other parts of your catalog or other navigational paths, the design of that is of chief concern just to make sure that it doesn't have the appearance of an ad. And if you do have some of these elements on there, the things to be aware of to avoid confusion. So the article is pretty in-depth and definitely worth a read. The uh, headline probably doesn't convey very well what's actually in the article, but if you're in the e-commerce space, and really if you're in lead gen or a ton of other spaces, even blogs, I feel like could have some takeaways, particularly with the modal boxes. Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely worth a read on things that you need to be aware of when you're designing your site and really the pain points that arise in people based on basically how you navigate sites and things to just be aware of. All right. So moving right along, email deliverability. I mean, this is a chief concern for a lot of people. I mean, Mm. regardless of what vertical you work in, getting those emails into the inbox. Yeah. Got to do that. So sorry, before we get into this, when we talk about deliverability, are we talking, are we talking primarily about just getting it into the inbox or are we talking about actually getting people to look at it and open it and whatever? Correct. So actually getting it into the inbox. Okay. Now I know what we're talking about. Let's go. All right. So this was actually prompted with an e-consultancy article that we ran across, which had more tips in there, but we, what we like to do here on the Beard Marketers is take all the bullshit that's out there and give you the real, real, what are the things you need to pay attention to and remove a lot of the fluff. So out of this entire article, we wanted to distill it down to a couple takeaways that might go against typical wisdom or normal conventions out there, but things that are important that a lot of times we've run into personally or or have some experience in that we want to share with you because it does really matter. So couple of things to take away. We are surprised in our workings with a lot of our partners that how few companies actually scrub their email list for inactives. Now, a lot of people, the general thought is the larger my email list, basically the bigger audience that I have. The thing that you need to take into consideration, though, is when it comes to deliverability, the number one reason why emails will get blocked by email providers is your reputation. So when we talk about deliverability, really what we're talking about, the main driver for getting your emails into inboxes reported by all of the email service providers is your reputation. So what goes into the reputation of a company when they send emails, when people like Gmail or Outlook look at them, is really spam complaints and bounces. So how do we get those things down to make sure that our reputation is in good standings? Well, a lot of that has to stem from how do we lower some of these bounces? How do we lower these spam complaints? And a lot of that can surface from people that are inactive in our lists that we continue to email time and time again, but they haven't really interacted with us. And now they've gotten to the breaking point of, I don't like any of your emails. I haven't liked them for three months now, and I'm just (laughs) sick and tired of listening to them. So now I'm just marking this as spam so I don't Mm -hmm. have to deal with it. Because for a lot of people, 
how we design emails, which we're going to get to a little bit later on, it's actually easier for me to mark something as spam instead of just unsubscribe, which is obviously as a company much more undesirable for someone to mark something as spam than just unsubscribe to our list. We're going to get to how do we solve that later on, but sometimes it's not just a numbers game that we need to think more smartly about our lists and how do we potentially remove people that we haven't interacted with in a long time. Potentially, we need to think of a different campaign for them. Maybe we have like a last ditch effort to try to re-engage these people or we reach out to them to try to get them to communicate to us what they're actually interested in so we can make sure to only deliver relevant emails to them. But make sure that you're going through your email list every once in a while and removing those people that are just sitting there dormant because they are of extreme risk to potentially reporting us for spam and, again, hurting our reputation. Yeah, absolutely. A couple a couple things to note there. Um, reputation doesn't just necessarily apply to your domain or email address. It can also be your IP address. So Correct. there are several different reputations you can have. And different email service providers provide different ways to verify sort of like your identity or whatever it is, or get a unique IP address that you can then use as your own identity and things like that. Just sort of a quick anecdote. I've got some experience sending some emails to some rather large lists on a weekly basis, you know, six figure plus email lists. And I think something that, you know, in talking to a lot of other email marketers is that they don't actually take the time to read through a lot of the replies. Because what I've noticed is a, a massive number of people who reply to these emails and say, I want to be removed from your list without actually clicking the, unsubscribe. I know you're going to talk about this, but there's a very obvious unsubscribe link at the bottom that mm-hmm. works very easily. I send a lot of stuff through MailChimp. It's very easy to do. So what essentially I have to go through these things or have someone go through them and click the unsubscribe links for these people. Correct. Uh, but you know, you got to take the time to do that kind of stuff. You actually have to monitor the email addresses that you use as the reply to's uh, on your massive email campaign sense. You know, people have taken the time in that instance to communicate to you. So they expect that action to, yeah. to follow through. And like you said, I mean, those people are of extreme risk of next email that they get reporting us for spam, which is obviously something that we want to avoid at all costs. So So good tip there. Moving right along, and this is something that I hinted at, and this, again, really goes against conventional wisdom, and you you need to find a good balance here. But I would also charge for a lot of marketers hiding your unsubscribe or making it super difficult to kind of understand, and maybe it's kind of the light gray on the white background, you know, really isn't the best tactic to take because at the end of the day, It is much better for us as a company for someone to unsubscribe from our lists than to report us as spam from a reputation standpoint. And so I think that what we need to do a better job of is to potentially make that information easier to get to, but also easier to interact with. Because I know a lot of us like to report on our list sizes and we like to brag about that and it's in our PowerPoint decks and things like that. But if we're chiefly concerned about people actually receiving our emails, then we need to think a little bit more smartly on how do we get those people that actually care about our messages receiving them. And if people are not finding them valuable to potentially get them off the list. Now, I think that just because someone unsubscribes, we do need to take some steps to understand why, because maybe we need to be doing, obviously we need to be doing something better, whether that's how we got that list in the first place, how we're actually communicating to those people. There's a lot to be had there, but hiding your unsubscribe can actually cause you a lot of harm more so than maybe making it visible. 
So take that into account, play around with that. You might find a good equilibrium of showing it a little bit more, but not necessarily making it in front of everyone's face and jumping up those unsubscribe rates. The last thing that we're going to talk about, which I think was a great tip, is making sure that you segment, if you have a large enough list, your deliverability rates and open rates by email service provider. So looking at things like Outlook, Thunderbird, Gmail, Hotmail, make sure you run a segmented list. And the reason why you want to do that is make sure that you can spot check issues with your template potentially. So if you see a huge decline in opens or interactions by a certain email provider, it might mean that you need to do some more QA checks Maybe sign up for a free account, send yourself an email, and make sure that there's nothing egregiously wrong with your template that is causing those people to not see your email as intended. Maybe it's the template's totally broken, you didn't even know it. So make sure that every couple campaign you run a segmented report based on provider and make sure that there's no glaring issues out there. Be careful not to jump to conclusions with low samples, but something to take into consideration. So those are some tips on email deliverability. Hopefully that helps. And some of them might go against common wisdom, but I think that thinking more smartly about your emails is of chief concern to a lot of marketers, especially as people like Gmail and things like that are becoming more and more strict about what's coming through their services. So that's going to do it for us on this episode. Again, thank you for your time. If you enjoyed yourself, number one, share with a friend. Number two, give us a rating on iTunes. It'd be greatly appreciated. Also, if you have an idea for the show, you can give us a call 904-270-9603. Like I said, Rob waits day and night to hear your phone calls. But if you listen every week and think, dang it, the bearded men didn't talk about that. Let us know. Give us an idea for a topic. Also, if you'd like to be on the show, you feel like you have something to give to the show, maybe you have some experience in a relevant field, we definitely take interviews. We've done a couple recently that we're trying to work into our content schedule. Fair warning, this is not a place for a product pitch. So if that's something that you're interested in doing, don't do it because we won't have you on the show. No holds barred. We're going to we're gonna hit you up with the tough questions too. So be prepared. Also, make sure that you're checking out the site. we got a lot of new video content coming out. Rob works really hard on that. We got some new tune-up videos hopefully we're trying to get to, but also some regular video content that we're starting to work on. Again, that's going to do it for us. Thank you so much for your time, and we'll see you next week.